Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Well, guys, today we are starting our series, The Letters to the Seven Churches from the Book of Revelation. And I'm really excited about it. I really believe that God wants to speak to us and do something in our lives. And so just a couple practical things as we get into the series. I want to let you know that all of the notes of the series are going to be on our app. And you can go to your app store and type in Faith Arvada. You'll see our app there. You can download that. Something for also for you to know that on there you can, you can look at past messages. You can look at notes. But one of the real, th- the real important things I want to draw your attention to today is that it's also the place that you can sign up for small groups. We believe that God wants us to be meeting, and some, I don't know if you saw the announcements before, are meeting virtually. Some are meeting periodically. Some are meeting in public places. But the, the point is this. You need people in your life, and you need relationships, and we want you to go on a journey to be equipped and grow continually in your walk with Jesus, with other people. So you can do that. You can get on your app and, uh, and select that and sign up, and all the... Um, Information you need is going to be on there. Also, just want to give you a quick announcement. We are, after the service, we're going to be doing a baptism. We have 16 people we're baptizing today. Super, super great. Excited about that. So you feel free to stay and join us as we uh, baptize and honor what the Scripture says about baptizing people. So guys, listen, we are starting the series, and uh, I, am, I am really, really excited about it. And so over the next several weeks, we will be in the book of Revelation. We'll be looking at the seven churches that Jesus speaks to, and we're going to be challenged. We're going to receive critiques from Jesus. We're going to be also, you're going to be commended. You're going to be encouraged by what Jesus is saying to us. And every one of these letters and churches, Jesus compliments, he critiques, and he challenges But what's important to know that this letter, though, that we're going to be reading is not going to just be about somebody else. This letter isn't just written for somebody else and for them. It's written for us today. And we're going to see ourselves in these letters. And we're going to allow these letters to speak to us, not only see ourselves as a church, but you're going to find yourself as individuals in these letters. In some of these areas, you're going to be challenged. Some of these areas, you're going to be critiqued. Some of these areas, you're going to be complimented by Jesus. And so we're going to go on a journey. And it's very important that we understand the church. We understand who we are. And so I want to I look at this today. But as Jesus was addressing the church in Revelation, it's important to know that there is a history of the church. It's important to know that from the beginning of the church, which we, we often think of as from the book of Acts, and, but there has been a journey from the, the birth of the church out of the book of Acts to this letter that we're going to be in in the book of Revelation. And the truth is that the church hasn't always modeled what the first church was about. And that's why as, as we were leaning into this and I was reading some of these letters, I asked this question, what is Jesus comparing these churches to? And I believe that the birth of the church out of the book of Acts was a model that Jesus set into place led by his disciples to be the template, to be a comparison. And I want us, before we get into these other letters, to understand that there was a comparison of church that we need to understand. And I want us to to look at that. So before I get to the letter of the first church in the book of Revelation, I want us to begin the series by looking at the first church in the book of Acts and get familiar with it today, to learn from it today, to see the purity of it, the purposes of it, and how the first church and the people of that first church were and are to set the trajectory of us as a church. There's a term a lot of times in business, it's called mission drift, or a lot of nonprofits mission drift. And the fact is this mission drift happens as something, as a mission sets out or a vision sets out. Because over time, if you get off two degrees over a long period of time, you're going to be off. And I believe that the church over the years has had some mission drift. We haven't taken our cues from The book of Acts, we've taken our cues to maybe personal things that we like or personal things that we're passionate about. But the fact is this, the church has a very clear directive from Scripture. 
You as believers have a very clear directive. Why did God save you? Why did he call you? What's the purpose of the church that God will bring you to be a part of? And because of Mission Drift, we invest a lot of resources in particular a certain area that doesn't accomplish the main reason and the main purpose of the church. And so I believe God is adjusting our Mission Drift as a church. And I believe God's adjusting our Mission Drift as believers in our own lives. But before we get into the book of Acts, I, want, I need to cover a couple things for you about the church. The church was built on something. Just didn't show up one day. It was built on something. And what you are built on determines your function. You function as a, as, as a church. Um, it's important. Whatever, you're built, whatever your foundation, whatever your origins are, that is where your function comes from. You are, not the, you are not the creator. You are, you are on top of the, the, the one that created. You are on top of the foundation. So it, it determines your DNA. It determines your message. It determines your purpose. It determines why you exist. And so many times I've seen um, churches over, over the years, they get so caught up in their own legacy and their own DNA that they forget of the DNA which they were built on. And they get so focused on, yes, but we do this, we do this, we do this. That's great, except for Scripture is very clear about the function of the church. And I believe if we want to see the book of Acts results in our church, we need to model what the book of Acts says and understand these things. Do you agree with that? If you want, if you want the New Testament church of Acts results, we need to look at our lives and say, is there something we need to address? Have we mission drifted? And so I just want to cover two things about the foundation of the church before we get into this book of Acts, which is going to be incredibly a lot of fun today. But the first thing is this, the foundation of the church, as we're looking at the church, the bedrock of the church is Jesus Christ. The church's foundation as the church is built on an incredible truth that Peter mentioned and so Jesus asked his disciples at one point before he, um, he went to the cross and rose um, from the dead and ascended to heaven, he asked them a question, who do you say that I am? And so, you know, the hymn hauled around a little bit, and then Peter said this out of, of Matthew 16. This is what he said. Peter answered, you are the Messiah and the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Now look, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. So Peter... What you were doing and what you just said right now, you got directly from God himself. This was not about you or what you think I was. This is about God speaking through you, but this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Lots of discussion over the years is, is the rock Peter he's talking about, or is it the statement that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God? I believe it's the statement in which the church is built on. It's not Peter, but that statement is this, that upon this rock, the statement that you are the Messiah and the Son of the living God, and the gates of hell will not overcome it or prevail against the church. Amen? So that's, that's the foundation of the church. Jesus is the bedrock of our church. That he was the son of God, that he came, that he took upon himself the sins of the whole world, the man, all of mankind, including yours, upon himself. He took the punishment we deserved, nailed it to the cross, died, rose from the dead, so that if we are in him, we, we are no longer subject to the punishment that we deserve. He took it for us, and that's called the gospel. Amen. That's, that's, a good, that's what the church is built on. And so when Peter said, by, the, by, by this revelation of God, he said, this is what the church is about. Everyone who is a part of the church has believed and believes wholeheartedly that this truth, that Jesus is our foundation. He is our master. He's the savior of the world. He's the only way to God. And believing and placing your faith in that brings you into his family and makes you a part of his church. The second foundation of the church is this. The leader of the church is Jesus Christ. So not only is he the foundation, he is also the leader. It's so important for us to understand 
that the leader of our church isn't, it, it's not me, it's not our, our team and our elders. The leader of our church is Jesus Christ. We are considered as pastors who are called under shepherds, meaning we are under the great shepherd, which is Jesus Christ. And it's important we understand that Jesus is who leads the church. We don't lead the church through the opinions of man or what we think um, what we think we ought to do or what you think we ought to do or what the world thinks we ought to do. The church is led by taking our cues from Jesus, not from culture and not from the, the latest thing or not from the latest fads. We are leading the church to the best of our ability by taking our cues from Jesus as we lead as a team here at the church. And just so you're aware, that's our goal. And so this is about following Jesus. Like if we say we're following Jesus, he's our leader, um, and you're not following him, then you're not following him, right? It's important to understand that Colossians 1 says this, that he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In other words, in everything he might be number one. In everything he might rule. In everything he might be the reason why we do everything. Jesus. So listen to me, just I want you to catch this for a second. Who we are as a church is not about, hear me, who we are. Who we are as a church is not about who we are. Who we are as a church is who Jesus is. That's why we are the way that we are. We will constantly have to adjust things in our life to understand that we are to be like Jesus we are to lead the church the way that his purpose and his will is. This is the same in our lives as you follow Jesus. We are not the leader of our lives, are we? He is. We get our directives from the Bible. We get our directives from his spirit. We get our directives as we, as we lean into him and hear his voice. He is our leader. And so when Jesus is your leader, you follow him. It's very important. When Jesus is your leader, you follow him. If Jesus is your foundation and your creator, you emulate who he is through who we are. Jesus started the church through his disciples. I want to learn from them. I, I, I want to learn what they did and how they did it so we can compare ourselves to them as a mirror and say, hey, listen, maybe there are some things we need to adjust Maybe there are some things that they were well-meaning and well-intended things, but maybe it has diverted resources. Maybe it's diverted time. Maybe it's diverted focus, and we are no longer putting everything that God's called us to do and to have into what he's actually called us to do and to proclaim. We need to make adjustments as needed. And I want to go back to the beginning, to our heritage I pray you realize you were a part of something remarkable. And people just like you, believe this or not, people just like you, over 2,000 years ago, flawed humans, flawed beings, together with God became the church. And that church with flawed people had one mission, had one focus because they held on to it and wouldn't compromise it. They have transformed the world and it's still transforming the world today. So I want to look at the beginnings of the church. I've always, I've always been fascinated by, by heritage. I'm sure some of you um, have as well. I, I love history. And so I was curious about my heritage. And so for Father's Day a few years ago, my, uh, my wife and kids got me that little thing that you, you, you open up, you spit in it, and you send it off. And two weeks later, they tell you uh, where you're from. And they, you get the report back, and you're like, I'm a mutt. I'm from everywhere. That's, that's where I am. But it's, it's fascinating to me because as I looked at the, the areas of the world that my heritage came from, I, I, I wasn't thinking about the places, I was thinking about the people. I was thinking about my, my heritage. I was thinking about my ancestors. And I began to think more about like, where, where did they, where, what was their story? What did they do for a living? Who, like, who, who was this that, that made it over to America for the first, where did they go? Where did they, what, what did they do? Where did they live? How did they survive through difficult times? 
What did they learn when, when life was flipped upside down for them? What was their personality like? Where did they, where did they immigrate from? Where did they, what, what port did they come into? How did they overcome pressures? How did they adapt during the black plague in a pandemic or a great depression? How did they adapt in war or in famine or, or, or difficulties or communism? How did they, how, what, what, what did they do? And I'm curious about all of that because, because of this. They endured through whatever they had to endure. And we know because of history, there's a lot, there's been a lot to endure. Because they endured, I'm here. And so I, I, I just, I appreciate that they endured. There's a lot to be learned from our heritage as people. But more importantly, there's a lot to be learned from our heritage as the church. Most of the time we attribute the beginning of the church from the book of Acts and it was birthed and it's amazing, an amazing story we're gonna look at in just a moment. And that's true, but the fact is it's the foundation of the church is built on Jesus Christ, that he is the savior and the Messiah of those who received him. They are brought into his church because of him. But this plan of the church began actually before the book of Acts. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Before the, the prophets prophesied about a coming Messiah would come, the church began before that. Before God's covenant with Abraham to bless him for the purpose of bringing the Messiah to the world through his bloodline, the church existed. Before the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve rebelled and they allowed sin to come into mankind's being and in, into, into the world, that's which we see today. Before all of that, before it stained all creation, before the promise from God that our Savior would come through a child of a woman, which we read in Genesis, and that child would crush Satan's head, speaking about Jesus. God's plan for the church was before God spoke the universe actually into existence. God's plan from the church was even before that. God had a plan for the church before there ever was a beginning. And that plan was through Jesus and from his work of salvation, the church would be birthed. And I want you to understand that God has had you on his mind and in his heart to be a part of his church for a really, really long time. He had on his mind your salvation. He had on his mind what he was going to, he had on his mind that you would come and be a part of this significant family, body, and what's also called church. In Revelation, God, um, John writes about how long God's been planning the church. This is what he says in Revelation 13, 8. He says, the Lamb of God, which is the pathway and the birthing of the church and through him, was slain from the creation of the world. It also says from the foundations of time. So the church and the people of God have been in the heart of God before time ever existed. God had a plan for you. God had a plan for us. He, went, he strategically created us and brought us together, sent his son so that we could part of, be a part of his family for a specific purpose and plan. And I want to live that plan, plan and purpose out. He's had a plan on what impact we're to have in the world. He's had a plan that we are to align with that so we can fulfill our purpose of why he saved us and called us and thought of us before time even existed. And all of this is based that Jesus has saved us. Jesus has brought us into God's family. Jesus is our foundation and that Jesus is our leader. And we see that become a reality around 2,000 years ago in the New Testament the church was born right after the Lamb Jesus died, he rose from the dead, and he gave final instructions to his disciples, which was the Great Commission. And then after he gave the Great Commission, he ascended to heaven. After he ascended to heaven, an angel was like, hey, boys, what are you staring up at, uh, up at me for? You need to go and do what he just told you. But he told his disciples leading up to that moment, before you go and start preaching, before you go and start telling people about me, 
I want you, before you start building the church, I want you to wait and I want you to stay in Jerusalem. And in the city, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. So leading up to this moment, though, Jesus had done some incredible things. He had flipped the whole religious system and the whole human system upside down. Jesus confronted hypocrisy in religious leaders of the time. Jesus restored dignity. This was the model that he had set. Remember, this is the model that the disciples had been watching on how you are to lead church, how you, what your church to be about. So Jesus confronted religious leaders, confronted hypocrisy, and he started reaching out to the hurting. He started ministering to the broken. He forgave those who were caught in sin and gave them a life to live. He took authority over the demonic realm and cast out demons that were torturing his precious creation. He healed the sick. He taught contrary to the current system where then it was an eye for an eye. But now we're to forgive people who have hurt us and turn the other cheek. Instead of love your neighbor and hate your enemy, Jesus was saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He taught, us his, he taught his disciples and us, as we read his word, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that teaching and that model and that spirit is what the first church began to carry out. And that's what they taught. It's what they shared. It's what they preached. But again, not until they were clothed with power. So they waited And the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were filled with the power of God. And the the church was birthed that day. Peter left the the area where they, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. He went to the temple stairs. He began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't preach anything else. He didn't preach his opinion. He didn't preach something he'd like to see happen. He preached the gospel. Why would he do that? Because that's what Jesus told him you needed to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Peter didn't say, all right, thanks, Jesus, and he went to the temple. Listen, I, I want to talk to you today about something else. No, he didn't do that. He did what Jesus told him to do. And then the birth of the church that day, he preached the gospel. The Bible says that 3,000 people were saved. How I many? That's a good opening day of a, of a church, right? 3,000 people are radically saved, baptized. And the church begins to grow. So from there, the church exploded, and they started meeting together once a week. Well, what were they doing? Well, they would meet, and they would sing, and they would worship God. They would share stories about Jesus. They'd read the Bible together. They would listen to teachings from the church leaders, and they'd pray for one another. And the church kept growing and exploding. So as as they did what Jesus told them to do, guess what happened? As they began to grow as a church, you had people's lives who became a part of the church were drastically changed. Murderers became preachers. Prostitutes became wives and women of purity. Thieves became givers. Lustful men became protectors of the weak and the innocent. The hungry were fed. The lame started to walk. The blind began to see and they cared deeply for each other and they lived selfless selfless lives for themselves and for those around them. The church just started to multiply and they were filled with every aspect of society. Every aspect of society from different ethnicities, social, economic positions. They gathered and they worshiped God and they experienced the presence of God and they gathered and as, as they kept Jesus at the center, their Savior, their Lord, their Redeemer. But something started to happen. The world began to hate them, just like it hated Jesus. They began to suffer just like Jesus did. They were harmed just like Jesus was harmed. And the world around them tried to silence them, tried to stop them, tried to shut them down, tried to make them comply. And the more pressure that was turned up on the church, the more pressure that, the, the, it more, the more it got squeezed, the faster the church exploded. 
And that's why we're here today, because of Christians who endured and were faithful to what Jesus had called the church to do. And that's why we're here today. That's our heritage. And this is a, it's a, just a short story of how the church began and how you and I are a part of it today. I love our story of the church. I love to be a part of them. I want to read that. Yes, I'm so proud of those guys. I'm so proud that they endured. I'm so proud that they refused to bow the knee. I'm so proud that they preached the gospel as they were being burnt at the stake. I'm so proud that the disciples preached and preached and preached and every one of them gave up their lives for the sake. I'm so proud they were courageous and bold and they knew what they were called to do as the church. I love the story. And I'm proud to be associated with those who have gone before us, who have sacrificed, who have modeled Christianity, kept the gospel at front and center, and refused to allow any other agendas to get them off. My question for us today, as we read and we love this story, will the church 50, 70, 100, 200 years from today be able to be proud of who we are as a church. In this moment, and this time in history, what are they going to read about us? As we read the church in the book of Acts and how they overcame and they refused to back down, let up. Why? Because they were following their leader. Why? Because they were functioning from their foundation, which is their DNA. Will our grandkids and great, 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 great grandchildren, if they were to read of how we were as a church, would they be proud? As they compared who we were with Scripture. How did we respond in pressure. That's what they're going to read. How do we respond to pain, to difficulties? Here is the opportunity before us right now, today. Our story is not completed or finished. Our time is not gone. It is, our time is right now. And what do we want our next chapter to be in this particular season and time and moment? I want what we write and people read about us to be similar to what they read in the first church. I want leaders to emerge out of the church and people just like you and me that God uses. I mean, these people, they were not, they weren't, they didn't just go to church. They had lives. They were carpenters and they were house cleaners and they were lawyers and they were doctors and they were businessmen. This isn't all, they just didn't go to church all day. No, no, this was their mission and their purpose that they were called to be salt and light and they would gather and they would, they would receive the word, they would worship together, then they would go to wherever they are, they would be Jesus. They would have the same mission in their mind, the mission of the church. That we don't, this, we don't come and do church. No, 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 you are the church. We come and get equipped to go be the church wherever you go. They understood that. They knew that. Did it get rough? Yes, it did. Did they relent? No, they did not. I'm sure some, I'm sure some did, but no one wrote about them, did they? I want the narrative of us, of me personally. I want my grandkids to say, thanks, Grandpa, for not giving up. I want us to take a moment and consider who we want to become today. One example of who we want to become is from the life of Peter and John. And this account is, this, this is fascinating. It's only about 20 days after Jesus ascended to heaven. They were going, Peter and John were going to the temple and on their way up, they walked through this gate, beautiful, and there was a lame man there. He, he'd been there for, for 40 years. That's what Scripture says, around 40 years. And he says, and everybody knew him. I don't know what his name was, but everybody knew him. And they knew he begs here every day for 40 years. So they walk by, and he hollers out to, to Peter and John, hey, you, you have some money? And, 
and uh, Peter says, uh, no, I, I don't. Um, I wonder if he did, and he was just using it as a point. But he said, no, I don't. Um, but I want to give you something that you'll be quite happy that I do. And then out of Acts chapter 3, this is what happened. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So we know this man was very well known as a beggar. So here's Peter and John who, listen, everything had been kicking off in Jerusalem over the last month. And because Jesus was crucified, he was dead. He, w- he rose from the dead. He's been walking around for, for 40 days. And so, listen, it's kind of a big deal. And they still hated Christians. And so Paul and John walk in with this man who once was lame. Everyone's looking at him. And they, I don't know, walk into the, to, to the room or to the area of the temple. And everybody looks at him. They think, probably two, two responses. Either, wait a minute. Has this dude been ripping me off for 40 years? Or it was this, God healed him. He's no longer lame. He's walking. And so they walk in and Peter and John start preaching their guts out. Start preaching Jesus. And this man who once was lame is standing right next to him. And, he, and he's, they are preaching. I mean, and this commotion happened and everybody was listening. Many people, there's probably around 5,000 people that probably was hearing the gospel being preached. And so then the leaders of the temple who had conspired to get Jesus killed, even though we know Scripture said, Jesus said, no one takes my life, I lay it down willingly. But they hated Christians. So they walk in, they hey, knock it off, Peter and John. Knock it off. You're disturbing our system. You're not complying. And they were arrested by the temple guards. And they were kept overnight. And the next day, they bring them out, and they're there. And so they begin questioning Peter and John. And so... They asked this question, as the lame man is no longer lame, they asked the question, by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter was like, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> now remember, leading up, they were just told, stop preaching. Stop, stop gathering all these people and telling them, about, knock it off. They were just told that. They were just put in prison. So we know they had authority. They could do this. And so Peter comes out, and he says, why is this man, why, why is the, the leaders ask, why is this man healed? What power or name did you do this? And Peter says, this man was healed in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to explain, verse 10 out of Acts chapter 4, whom you crucified and killed, but God raised him from the dead. He's the one that just healed this man. In other words, it's Jesus that you thought was a lunatic was powerless, was crazy, that you tried to kill. But remember that one time you couldn't and he rose from the dead? That man healed this man. There was something about them as disciples. Their lives were anchored in the reality of who Jesus was and the leader of their church and the foundation of the church. So Peter stands before these same guys who had killed Jesus. They had the power to to kill them as well. The same people who went after Jesus, same people that Peter was scared to death from them. When a little girl asked the night Jesus was betrayed, hey, aren't you with Jesus? Peter said, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. And he ran from this girl. Three times he denied even knowing what is going on. Now he stands before those people that he was running from earlier. And he looks at them. And he says this out of verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Didn't say can saved, but we must be saved. These two men, Peter and John, they understood the risk they were taking. And even in the face of death and persecution, They are boldly proclaiming Jesus is the only way. They're boldly doing what Jesus told them to do as the leader of the church and what the church should be doing. He is now before those who crucified Jesus. Now, here's the question. Did Peter do this because he wanted to fight? He said, bring it on. No. You know why he preached it? Because he understood 
the heart of Jesus. He preached this because his leader told him to preach it. He, he did it because his foundation was based that Jesus is the Messiah. He didn't waver. He preached it because his leader said, this is what I want you to do. He was obeying the founder of the church and the leader of the church, Jesus. Then Peter says to his fellow Jews, his brothers, right there he says, regardless essentially what happens, regardless of what happens to my body, I needed to tell you this. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. This message that Peter was proclaiming, he was saying, this message is more important than my life. And I'm willing to lay it down. Why would, why would he do that? Because his leader told him to. How do, we know, how do we know that Peter is following Jesus? Because he did what Jesus said to do. And so they saw this courage, which is this, this word of courage and boldness. It's all, it's all peppered throughout the New Testament. And it's associated with those who are following Jesus. Courage and boldness are always associated with those who are following Jesus. So, what do the leaders think? Well, verse 13, they said this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, thank God, that gives me a chance. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It goes on verse 14. But since they could not, sorry, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, really, there wasn't really a whole lot they could say. But they were ticked off. These men were not complying. They were pushing the, the boundaries of, of what the leader said. No, you can't do this. And so they said, listen, okay, we, we got to talk. So the leaders get together, they sent Peter and John out, and they said, oh, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to tell them. So they call them back. Verse 18 says this. Then they called them in again and commanded them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So they were like, listen, guys, listen, Peter and John, you are Jews. Be a good citizen. Do what we say. Be a team player. You think your message is important now. We, we obviously don't, and we just want you to comply. That's what we want. We want compliance. So after that, Peter and John, they called the rest of the church, and they had a meeting. They said, guys, listen, our preaching gig is up. We can't do this anymore. They told us not to. And they said, you're right. We just can't do it. Why, why didn't they say that? Because they were following their leader, not following man. So after they had told them, they were there with the leaders, and they said, listen, we're command you, you do not do this. And there, was, there were threats. There's an obvious. These people have the power to kill you, crucify you. And they, they responded this way. Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you? <laughs> or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. <clears throat> so, because of that, they received more threats and they were released and they went back to the other Christians and they began to tell them everything that actually really happened. And after hearing the threats, the what ifs, they started to pray. They responded in prayer. They were in danger. They were, their fellow citizens were against them. They knew their life was in the balance. These were not empty threats. They were in difficult times. They were pressured. And they began to pray. Now here's a question for us. If you were with them, if you were with these believers, what would you pray? Maybe it would sound something like this. Oh, God, make our government diminish the restrictions so we can share Christ and meet together. Oh, God, remove these leaders from power. 
Oh God, smite our enemies. Oh God, overthrow the Roman government so we can have our freedom. God, pour out your wrath on those evil people. They didn't pray that. Do you know why? Because they were praying from their understanding of Jesus is the foundation of the church. And Jesus is the leader of the church. And they started to pray, hear me, his will, not theirs. Why would they do that? Because they were following Jesus. Because they continued to keep Jesus the forefront, center of what it means to be a Christian. I want you to hear this prayer of theirs, which is moving to me. And I, I want to ask you this question. If our prayers were recorded in difficult times, would they sound like what we're about to read? If the church, many, many years from now, could not only see our actions, but read our prayers, would they be proud of us? This is what they prayed. Verse 24, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, God, you're the ruler. <laughs> you're in charge of no question. Even though it doesn't look like it, God, and we're under pressure and threats, you're leading. These men and women knew, knew Jesus. They knew God, and they were anchored in him. It goes on, verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers bend together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate meet together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They were actually quoting from the Psalms that were speaking prophetically of what was going to happen with Jesus' followers. Why do the nations rage against us? They understood this was part of their journey. And then it goes on verse 28. And they did what your power, now listen, speaking to Pontius Pilate and Herod, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus, meaning it was necessary for Christ to die so he could raise from the dead and save the world. But what were they saying? In other words, this whole thing that we're going through, the pressure, the, this hasn't caught you off guard, God. You're not, you're not freaking, you're not running around trying to figure out what am I going to do with my church now because people don't like them. It didn't catch them off guard. And they understood that. And after they prayed for the faithfulness of God, after they, they put their trust completely in him, they moved to their request to God. Now, if we could record our prayers during pressure time, during when things seem to be against us or whatever it is we're going through, what would we say? Maybe things like, God, I can't take my life being disrupted anymore. God, I don't like this. God, move heaven and earth so I can get back to normal. I can't do what I used to do, and I don't like it. Here's the truth. During pressure, we respond in two different ways. We respond, what about me? Or as Christians, we respond, what about your will, Father? As Christians, we can respond in two different ways. Again, what about me? Or, Lord, what is your will in this situation? We can ask God to fix what I don't like, or I can ask God, how he wants to use me during this time for his purposes right now. You have an option. But they didn't pray selfishly. They prayed in pressure. They prayed in persecution. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So, in the midst of when their life is being squashed and their life is being threatened, they ask God to give them boldness to what? To speak his word. Why would they do that? Because they were following the leader of their church and they were rooted to the foundation of their church, which is Jesus. 
They're praying for boldness to keep doing what God has called them to do. They knew Jesus was the foundation. And they prayed and they knew that God wanted to use them and move through them at that hour and at that time. They prayed as though their comfort was not a priority. And they prayed with the Bible in mind, with the will of God in mind, with salvation and healing of the lost of the nations in mind. They began to pray prayers that came from the heart of the one which they were following. This is what they prayed. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They were considering the lost. They were considering the hurting. They were considering the broken. They were considering those around them. And they also understood what that solution and what the solution is. Regardless of what's going on in our world, regardless of what's happening so many times as a church, we lose, we lose the understanding of what the solution is to a broken world. We, we lose the understanding of, of why. So we see so much hurting, so much brokenness, so much unrest, so much. What's the solution? Listen, I cannot tell you it, any other answer besides this. Jesus is the solution. <clears throat> So when we are ordained by God to be a church, to proclaim Jesus Christ, to be a place that the hurting and the lost can come. Listen, we know this. We know that during this season and this time, suicide is skyrocketing. Hospital visitations from domestic abuse, child abuse, addiction, alcohol, drugs is skyrocketing. People's mental health is on a, down, on a downward spiral. And the solution that we need to understand that we as a church are the only institution called by God to give that solution. And that is Jesus is the answer and we want to give you hope. That's what our call is. That's why we choose to open our doors because if someone is hurting, if someone's desperate, I want us to be here. I want them to be able to receive hope. If people want to join us online, I want them to do that too. We as the leaders of the church, from the elders and the pastors, we, we want to fulfill the mission of our leader, Jesus. That he came into the world, not for the well, for the sick. He came not to condemn, but to save. We want to make sure our foundation and our actions are aligning with our leader and the one that we call our Savior and Lord and Master. If he told us to do it, we will do it. That's what we want. We want to be there for those who are hurting. And I understand there are different opinions. I don't care. I want to follow Jesus' opinion of the church. And after they prayed, after they recognized spiritually what the solution is for their problem was Jesus, was the preaching of the gospel, was the sharing of life. After they did that, after they aligned, after they made sure that, listen, we will stay on mission. Verse 31 says this, after they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When these Christians spoke, when they preached, there was something that was different about them. There was a sense of, of the presence and the tangible power of God Almighty. How they lived their lives and how they shared the truth of Jesus, it went from hundreds to thousands of people. How they lived, how they loved, how they were considerate of other people who were in fear. But they gave the solution of that fear, which was Jesus. How they lived their lives attracted people to the church and to the Jesus they were serving. They had one purpose in mind. The mission of Jesus through the purpose of the church to the world. Because they knew their mission. 
Because they understood why they existed. Because they were following their leader and they were standing on who he was. The next verse out of verse 33 says this then, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their confidence was linked in something that had nothing to do with circumstances. Their confidence was not linked to the Republican or the Democratic Party or the president. I'm not saying that's not important, but that is not where our confidence is to lie. Nor were they shaken by the Roman Empire that was opposed to them. Were they, nor, nor was their confidence shaken by their own countrymen that hated them, wanted it to go away and stop doing, stop being the church, knock it off. They weren't, their confidence wasn't shaken because people wanted them dead. Their confidence wasn't swayed by a world that seemed in chaos and what is going on, what is happening. Because their confidence was rooted in what the scripture says, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had seen Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. They had seen him on the cross. They had seen him die. But then, guess what? Three days later, they saw him walking around and talking. It's a little different. It's a little different. So this man who was dead is now alive, and now he's telling us, listen, I believe in you. Listen, you've got a mission. Church, listen to me. You've got a mission. Jesus was telling them. So they anchored their life to him. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, because they were filled with boldness and courage, because they understood Jesus was the leader, Jesus was dead, Jesus is alive, and we're going to follow him. Because they saw him give them the message of go into all the world and preach the gospel, and then him ascend to heaven. Because of that, they did not consider their own lives. They were selfless. They weren't afraid of losing something because they didn't belong to themselves. They weren't afraid of living something because what they had didn't belong to them. It belonged to the one who was dead and now resurrected and gave us instructions. We will follow him. They were, they were not afraid. They were not afraid. But they were determined to be what Jesus had saved them and called them to be. They, in the name of Jesus, they showed compassion, they showed kindness, they showed generosity, they showed boldness, and their action caused a broken, lost, flipped upside down Roman world, culture, a nasty culture, to listen to them and experience the transformation and salvation from Jesus Christ. Why would they do that? Because they were taking their cues as the church from their foundation and from their leader. I believe we are entering a very significant season as a church. Are we going to need boldness and confidence? You better believe it. Are we going to get that from whatever happens in politics or whatever happens in, on our streets? No. We are going. To have confidence and not fear and live in a way that defies everything else in the world. Do you know why? Because Jesus is alive and he's coming back. Jesus rose from the dead. It's proven historically. It's proven with written testimony. It's proven with, with historians. It's proven through the Roman Empire. Jesus died, but God raised him from the dead, and he's alive, and he's the head of the church. Do you know, do you know why we don't fear? We press on. Do you know why we hold our heads high, and we continue being what God's called us to be? You know why we reject fear and reject the idea that we need to shrink back and somehow, you know, just run and, and maybe just get away and make sure we, we don't make anybody mad? We don't need to do that, and I hope you understand this. And I want you to understand that if you are a part of the church, actually, we, are, we do not fear evil. But I, you need to know this, that evil fears us. That's our call. Well, Jason, you can't say that. Sounds really arrogant. That's fine. I didn't say it. Our leader did. Matthew 16, he said this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So no matter what's going on, no matter what we're living through, these incredible times, 
Church, we have a mission. And the question is, what will people read about us many years from now? What will, what will those who come after us, as they read about us, will they be proud? I want us, I want the narrative that is spoken, I want the words that are written about my personal life and us as a church to be something that the church in the future says, I'm so proud they endured. I'm so proud they didn't compromise. I'm so proud that they were functioning in compassion and kindness and love, but they held true to their mission. We are at a moment of time that we have opportunity. Our letter isn't finished yet. Your letter for your life isn't finished. Someone will read about you. may not be a written thing, but they'll hear about you. Someone will look back on your life and say, I'm so proud. Grandpa, thank you. Grandma, thank you. You can begin writing another story today. The church can begin writing another story today. What is your next chapter going to be? That when, from a church standpoint, the future, they look back at us and they said, man, you guys were faithful. You guys endured. They'll read a couple things. You guys weren't perfect, that's for sure. But you stayed in the game. You followed your, your leader. You followed Jesus. And because you did that, we are so proud to be a part of that heritage. Because you did that, we're so proud that we are here today and we can learn from you because you refused to allow a, a, a worldly system to in affected you and you remain true to your foundation and to your leader but here's the truth same way in your personal lives what will your story be men someone looks back on your life what's being written about you right now are you living a life that future men can be proud of that your sons can be proud of, that your daughters can be proud of. It's time to write a different story. For you women, are you living a life that once it's written about and people read, it said, what a woman of God, what a woman of grace, what a woman of forgiveness. Will the story of your life be something that you're Children's, 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 children are like, wow, I'm so proud to be a part of that. We are living in a time that I believe God truly is wanting to anchor us. For us, have we had mission drift? I say, yeah, we have. I think we've allowed some things to become more important than what Jesus ever wanted them to become. But our mission drift is to be leaders and to be lights wherever God calls you. But for us to be the church that doesn't back down, that doesn't back up, that leans in, that isn't afraid of evil, isn't afraid, we don't compromise, we don't give in to evil, we, we lean in because Jesus is building us. He's building us. And if we stay in step with him, since he's building us, the gates of hell won't prevail. Is it gonna be easy? No. But are we going to overcome? Yes. Is the, is the narrative of your life going to be one that, man, they went through hell, but they remained true to Jesus? Wow, they went through difficult times. But while they were, they were compromising and they said, enough is enough, God, help me. And, and while they changed, they flipped the script on the narrative of their life. Now's the time. What is God wanting to change in your story? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for calling us to be a part of your church that was ordained from the beginning of time.
Lord, I don't want to take that for granted. Lord, I want the story of my life as a follower of Jesus to be one that all who read it are encouraged and are proud of me. But God, for us as a church, I ask you, God, that you would anchor us and root us, not in our opinions, not in what was, not in what worked, but God, in what is that comes from your voice and your mouth to lead us in this season and this time. We want you to be glorified and honored. And we want to be your church. Being your church means we follow you. So Lord, today I ask you that you would begin to do things in our lives that we would see what the New New Testament church saw. We would see thousands come to Christ, that we would see the lame walk, we would see demonic powers being cast out, that we would see a church that is selfless, we would see a church that cares about your mission and your prayers more than their own. God, I ask you that you would cleanse us, you would forgive us, and you would realign us so that we could be the church that's called to be as bold as lions. God, today I pray that we would recognize that the lion from the tribe of Judah lives in us. Let us be what you've called us to be. Lord, for our men here today who have allowed compromise, who have secret lives, secret accounts, secret dating apps, secret search engines, secret folders. Right now. Respond to the Holy Spirit right now. It's time to start writing another story. It's time to allow Jesus to be your leader and your foundation. Lord, we confess. We ask you to cleanse and forgive. You write the story of my life, Jesus. God, for the women who have too friendly of relationships on messengers, for women who push the boundaries of things they know isn't right. For women who have bitterness they refuse to let go. For women who have compromised in areas of their life. Lord, today, forgive us. Cleanse us. Let me write a new story today. God, for all of us, may those who go, who come after us, be proud that they're associated with us. And that Jesus, if you were to write us a letter as a church, it would just be one sentence. May this be, I am proud of you. May we endure, God, over the coming months. May we endure. May we not be lost in our comforts. May we be sacrificial to push your kingdom forward. However you see fit as our leader. In Jesus' name. Just remain with your heads bowed. If you're here today and you recognize you don't know Jesus, and you recognize that your destiny is hell, and you want to be saved And you feel right now in your heart, the Lord's revealing to you that you are a sinner and that you need him. You need to know the Holy Spirit not only reveals your need, he then reveals the answer to your need, which is his son, Jesus. If you're here today, nobody's looking around and you want to give your life to Jesus, just raise your hand. Hold it up high so I could see you. God bless you. Thank you. Come on, just hold your hand. This is your moment. Don't let it slip. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and we're going to pray it with you because we love you.
And we're so blessed by you taking this step. And we're going to pray it with you. Bible says if you pray it and you mean it, you will be saved. Let's pray together, church. Say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. I believe that you died for me and rose from the dead. And I commit my life to you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. If you gave your life to Jesus, just want to ask you to do me a, a little favor, but it's huge. Just text SAVED to the number on the screen. If you gave your life to Jesus online, you can do the same, and we will help you along this journey. Church, let's stand to our feet. I'm going to pray and just bless you today. It's an honor to be here with you. And if you're joining us online, you can receive this as well. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, just lift your hands to receive from him. Lord, I pray for boldness and courage over every person's life that is in this church. I pray that you give them the courage to stand up for you, to be what you called them to be. Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us together. Lord, I ask you that we would shine like a light on a hill, that our salt would heal, preserve and make things better. God, I ask you that you would bless all of our families. You would open doors for them that only you can open, that you would lead in places that only you can lead. God, thank you for your word that spoke to us and thank you for all the people today that made a decision that my future story is gonna be different because of this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.